0: if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6. We're going to look at verses 10 through 16 today. And while you're doing that, I want to to give us a little bit of context as we're getting ready to dive into God's Word of this letter to the Ephesians. As you know, it was was written by Paul, and this letter was written to the church at Ephesus, where we get the name Ephesians from. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to them. And so what you need to know about Ephesus is that it is very similar to what we would think of as like New York City today. So this, Ephesus was a huge, busting, booming city that was actually the gateway to all of Asia. It was Roman-occupied, but it's, it was um, filled with, with commerce as well as tourism. And a lot of this actually revolved around the worship of a Greek goddess named Diana. And so If you're not familiar with Diana, Diana was the Greek goddess of fertility and really they consider her to be like mother nature. That's essentially where that comes from was this worship. And so that kind of gives us the context for who Paul is writing to. He's writing to a church that is conflicted about what is worship. There's all these different ideologies, all these different things that are going on around them that are trying to distract them from Christ. And so in the book of Acts, we actually are told of a story of where Paul goes and he brings the gospel to Ephesus. And while there, people begin to hear the word and, and they begin to put their faith in Jesus. And those who sell these idols and who kind of are like the tour guides of, of the time, they really hate Paul. <laughs> because all of a sudden, hey, our whole livelihood is based off of people worshiping Diana and I get to sell these little like action figures of her. And so, you're ruining my business, bro. And so, they get so mad that they actually take Paul into the center of the city. And they begin to beat him. And they stone him. And they assume that he's dead. So, they actually drag him out of the city and leave him outside the gates. But Paul, the next day, waking up from basically being dead gets back up, pulls himself together, you know, spits the blood out of his mouth, whatever's next, and goes back into the city and preaches again. Come on, talk about faith. Yes. So this is, this is what happens, this is essentially how the church got started. It was on Paul's broken bones that the church at Ephesus was founded, and that's who he's writing to. And so, at this time Paul is actually writing to Ephesians who are Roman citizens from a Roman jail cell. So in as you read through the passage he says remember me like remember me in my chains that I'm here for your sake. I'm here for the sake of the gospel. And so it's from a jail cell that he's writing to the church and lastly he wants us to know who our battle is against. You know we've been in this battle ready series and he wants us to know who our fight is up against, and he wants us to know that we do not fight alone. And so in this fight, we gotta remember that Paul's not writing to one soldier. He's not telling one soldier put on the armor. He's writing to an army. And he says, come on, army of God, it's time for us to suit up. Not just one of us, but all of us. And so that's the context that we have as we read through this. But will you pray with me real quick before we we dive into the word? Father God, Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that we get to be in a country of great freedoms. And Lord God, that we get to come, we get to worship you. We're not all of our brothers and sisters around the world get these same freedoms and privileges today. God, we remember them today. And we ask that you would give them grace, give them peace, God, in the midst of their persecution. And Lord God, we thank you for what you're doing in our communities Lord, we're believing that because the church is here, that heaven is gonna be made more crowded because of us. So we love you, God. Let me speak your words today and not my own. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna look at Ephesians 6 and start in verse 10, go through 16. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all these, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is a shield of faith. And so just to recap what we've already learned so far is we're in part four now of our battle ready series. The first week, Pastor John shared about the belt of truth and how The belt is what holds everything together. Truth is what gives us ground in our life. And then Pastor Ryan shared about the breastplate of righteousness and how righteousness is there to guard our hearts. And then last week, Christian shared about peace, how the shoes of the gospel of peace give us, um, they, they help us to stand firm in the midst of the trials that we will face. And so today, we're looking at the shield of faith. We're looking at faith and how faith helps us to push forward even in the moments where we should probably have lost hope. And so that's where we're going to be taking a look at. But I don't know about you guys. Are, are you guys enjoying this series so far? I hope so. I hope you found that it's, it's helpful, that it's been, there's been some practical things. I know that it's helped me. Because I don't know about you, but it seems just about like everybody I know, including myself, has really just been waylaid over these last few months. Like this past year, <laughs> someone amen, yeah, that's right. And But what it does is it reminds me that the battles we face are not with people, but they're spiritual. Did you know that today? That the things that we face, they're not with people, but they're spiritual, and for us, I mean, I think that we could, we could underplay it. We could overplay it. You know, I'm not one of those people that thinks that there's a demon under every, every rock. You know, I think we all have that one friend. Like, ugh, the headlights are out. I rebuke you, headlight demon, in the name of Jesus. We all have that one friend. You may be that friend today. And so I don't, I don't believe that that's accurate But what I have come to learn is that it seems that there's a demon under every other rock. Or how I should say it is, things are more spiritual than we tend to realize. That a lot of the problems we do face in our lives probably could be solved with prayer and fasting. So, this is why it is so important for us to put on the full armor of God. And so today, as as we go through this message, I want us to look at two points, and taking it from the text, and that's gonna be arrows and faith. Arrows and faith. So first we're gonna take a look at arrows, and the passage says that, uh, that you might extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So what are these arrows that Paul is talking about? Well, I would say that these are the many things that the enemy tries to bring up in your life to try to bring against you, to lose faith in God and walk away from him ultimately. And all of us, no matter where we're at in life, no matter what stage you're at, there are always arrows coming at us. And if that's not enough encouragement, it says that all the arrows. So there's many arrows coming at us. And I think if I was to ask you guys to, to put your hands up as if any of you have ever felt like you've taken a spiritual arrow before, I, I would imagine that just about every hand would go up, right? Right? And I think that we've we've really taken the brunt of some of this is because sometimes we just haven't known how to fight the fight. Or sometimes we don't even know the actual fight that we're in. And so I want to talk about some of that today and and take a look at some of those arrows. But first we need to really understand what is the fight that Paul is talking about. And so, as he said, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities, rulers, and powers in the spiritual realm. And that might be a little bit different for some of you, but there is a spiritual realm. It's, it's things that we can't see. There's things that go on. There's, um, there is such thing as Satan, which, quick nerd note, is that he is actually never really given a name in the Bible. We've thought of the name like Lucifer or Satan is like a proper noun, like it's his actual name. But it's historically it's actually not. He's never given a name in the Bible. He's always called the thief, the deceiver, the evil one, the enemy. And where we've gotten some of those names is actually mistranslations of different texts. Where that word Lucifer and Satan, where, how it's transferred uh, translated, excuse me, is a mistranslation of the of the Latin noun for bright morning star, which you hear about if, if as you've read through the Bible, you might have heard him called the bright morning star. And the reason for that is, is because it was to represent Saturn, which was the very, it's the very last planet, the very last star we see in the sky to hold on in the morning. So even though the light has come and has conquered the night, the bright morning star is the last one to keep rebelling against the day. And that's, that's where we get that idea of, of the evil one but that there are actual real spiritual forces that are trying to interact. We don't see them, but what it says is that they are behind, essentially, the things that are going on in the earth. So our fight is not against people, but it's against these things. So the next time someone ticks you off, you're, you gotta pray against the thing that's behind them, not the person that's in front of you. So, but Jesus said this in John ten ten. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we already see a contrast between what the enemy wants to do and what Jesus desires for us. So there's many different arrows that I would say that the the enemy does try to throw at us. And so there's a lot, we could spend all day talking about them, but I'm just gonna hit just a few of them that I think kind of summarize up most of them together. Now this isn't necessarily like, each arrow is step one, step two, step three. But I've definitely seen this in people's life. Some of these things come against me personally and how sometimes it almost has been a progression. But the first one is temptation. You know, that urge that if you let it go unchecked, all of a sudden you begin acting in a way that is inconsistent with who God says you are. You know that, that one thing that you don't want any of your church friends to know about because everyone's got that one thing but here's the truth. Satan can't actually make you sin. Did you know that? All he can do is plant a seed. He can plant a thought or an idea in your head that your, your flesh then says, oh, I kind of like that. And then it, it, you take the bait. And that's how you get tempted and led astray. It's kind of like, I know that I shouldn't. I know that the Bible says that if I look at a woman lustfully, it's the same thing as cheating on my wife. But. You know, today I just don't got it in me to bounce my eyes. Or, you know, I know that God hates gossip, but I said, bless her heart, before I said it. (laughs) As if, like, that makes everything better. But then I would say that the second one would be disunity. Would be disunity. Have you for? any reason at all ever just been like, I don't know why, but I just don't like that person. We used to be friends. I just hate them now. And so out of nowhere, you just just find yourself angry with so-and-so, and you're not particularly sure why. You may be receiving an arrow from the enemy because I know that this happens with our friends, or maybe you know what, you're in your life group, and you're like, Hey, for whatever reason, I used to love my life group leader, and now I just feel like, you know, we just don't hang out as much. We don't really connect. Or, you know, I know this happens. It's your pastor. Oh, I used to love them. I used to love that person. I don't, and it's somewhere along the line, there's either an offense that happened, um, a lot of times that the person is actually unaware of, or there is something that happened And you didn't go about it the same way that God said to go about it. Because here's what happens a lot of times. We want to be polite. We don't, oh, they already got enough stuff going on in their their life. I don't want to come and address that with them. But that's what the Bible says to do. It says that you're supposed to go to one another. That we are known by our love for one another. And it's not loving to just let your offense and let your, your thing linger on. And this is with anybody. And so, what ends up happening is you have this offense that this person oftentimes didn't even know existed. They weren't even aware of. And a lot of times it just, it happened by accident. And if you would have just had come to that person, just talked, it probably would have been worked out. But instead you just festered on it and you allowed it to devour your joy and almost wreck your soul. Am I the only one that's ever had one of those moments? God has has told us to to go and to reconcile because this is what the enemy loves. He wants to separate you from the body of Christ. As we talked about in previous week, he's, he's like a lion, the Bible says, looking to devour prey. And how does a lion do that? They run through the pack, they create division, and then from there, then they go and tackle the weak. So the devil wants you isolated and there's no better way to do that than disunity. And a lot of times I found that disunity ends up leading you to, be, to begin to even question God. Like, God, are you even real? Because if you were real, this person wouldn't have done this to me. Or this thing would never have happened. Which leads us to the third temptation, excuse me, the third arrow, which is unbelief. Unbelief. For whatever reason, you begin to doubt all the things that God has done in your life and you chalk it all up as if everything that's ever happened to you, all the good, all these different things, was just random circumstances. As if there was enough coincidences in the world to fix you or I. Because the coincidences that happen to us, they're unintentional. They could never fix us. Instead, it's a loving God who spoke straight into our hearts and said, no, I love you, you're mine, I have better for you, come and follow me. And one of the biggest excuses I feel like that I've, I've heard um, in my time in the church and talking with people in the community that the reason that they do not believe in God is because the church is full of hypocrites. <sighs> we got room for one more. <laughs> but But no, but seriously, that word hypocrite, I think that we've lost the meaning of what that really is. Did you know that hypocrite was actually an ancient theater term? And it was one who played multiple roles in a show. One who would wear a mask. And so it's not someone who's, who, who's struggling to live up to the, the standards that God has set. Imagine, it's someone who's a sheep, or it's a wolf in sheepskin. skin. To put it back into Bible terms. And so for us, I, d- I don't think that that's really what's going on. I think what people are seeing is a bunch of imperfect people trying to worship a perfect God. It's like, I'm sorry you caught me in my low light. And you, you, were, you, you, know, you saw all my Instagram highlights, but you saw me in a real moment. Don't discredit God for that. And so I I found that there's not many hypocrites in the church. Rather, there's imperfect people trying to carry out the perfect will of a perfect God. But if we wanted to be really honest, a lot of times I think that it's someone just trying to cloak up the fact that they they want to live their own life. And when, when you want to do your own thing, you're going to find any excuse that works, right? Well, this one keeps landing, so let's just keep using this one. And I think what it is is that they see the perfect will of God, and they're saying, you know what, I, I, I'm not sure that, one, that I could live up to that, and two, that I actually want to lay down my own self to carry that cross. I think if we were brutally honest, I think that's, that's what's really going on. But you need to know that your life today, is not random. It's not a series of coincidences. It was a hyper-intentional God who loves you so much that he sent his son to come and take your place. That's, what, ha- that's what, what it is. And that's what we ultimately have faith in. So these are just a few examples, I would say, that stop us in our tracks. Those things. These are just a few examples of arrows that do come at us, but I would say that the Holy Spirit is good in the midst of this. Wouldn't you agree? Because I know in my own life, there's times where these these thoughts, even as a pastor, some of these thoughts come through your mind. Just because, you know, you take that next step of faith doesn't mean that you're less anything else. What it actually means is you're just closer to the front line. And so a lot of times I have to step back and be like, well, hold up. Where did that thought come from? You know, why, why, am I, why am I truly frustrated with that person? Because down at the end of the day, I don't really know. And so the Holy Spirit is good in the midst of that. It's almost like a little red light goes off in your head. And you're like, nope, I need to take a step back. And I need to re-examine that. And ultimately, I need to just put my shield of faith up and just let that one fly away but have you noticed as well, is that it usually all comes at you at once. That classic saying, when it rains, it pours, and baby, it's raining arrows right now. And I would say that we, we've experienced a bunch of this, I think across the church as a whole in the last year, but I know especially with my wife and I, as we've, we ventured out to launch Clearbrook, man, it was just like arrows everywhere. And it was because we were taking a new step of faith, um, it felt like one blow after another, and we just we really had to just keep moving forward with our, our shields up. And we have a, amazing, wonderful people who are at Clearbrook today who took a step of faith with us, said, yes, we'll go help you plant the church. This is gonna be our campus, and we're gonna serve. And I kid you not, nearly everyone who said yes to the call has been taking arrows. And I wanted to share just a few examples just to show you, um, you know, because I talked about things that happen like temptation, disunity, unbelief. But there's been times where it's like it's physical things have come against us too. And one of them would be Big Dave, Dave Boggs. He keeps me straight over there. I love him. I'm missing some Big Dave love this morning. But, um, yeah, Big Dave. But it was, uh, it was about two months ago. That he came to us and said, "Hey, um, I didn't get a good doctor's report. I have cancer." And and if you know Big Dave, I mean that dude doesn't want to stop. He doesn't want to stop, and he he leads our basically our tech setup, our tech team. He's over there overseeing a lot of um, a lot of that today, and so he's been battling. And I tell you, he's had to keep his shield of faith up. That even though what he's he's Seeing right now, these feels like this attack is coming against him. He knows that he still serves a good God. And then I'll tell you about the Lee family, the Audrey and Chris Lee, who their, their little littlest daughter, Annalise, who I believe she was about seven or eight months old when we launched the campus. And we always say that she's our littlest church planner, it's, she's so cute. Um, but she was born prematurely. And so she's had a lot of ongoing health health battles, and I and we're we're constantly praying for her, and we're we're praying over their family, and doing anything we can to serve them as they're fighting some of these things, because we want to fight alongside them. And and but I tell you, they they don't miss church still. It is wild. I mean, we were telling Chris the other day. He um, I mean, I mom was. Was with the baby in the hospital, but he still came and he ushered. And he said that, you know, this is I need this because I need to keep my faith up. And then I could tell you about Lauren Loudon, who um, at one time was a, a kids pastor here before taking the uh, saying yes to the call to be a missionary in Africa who in the 28th week of her pregnancy was put on bed rest until the baby was born, is born and is currently still in a hospital room because out of nowhere, her, her blood pressure level just spiked to a dangerously high level and, and was fighting for days to be able to try to get it down where her life and the baby's life were at risk. Or maybe I could tell you about Pastor John and the family here, how literally – the two months before we launched the campus, Grandma Miller is sick. And how it was almost one week to the day before we were to launch the campus that she passes away. And then to even continue forward, even with myself, we're literally in crunch time. We have one month until we we launch. And one day I was leading a meeting here and I just, I caught a fever. And then all of a sudden, next thing I know, I've, I've been laid up in bed for five days, really haven't gotten up, eaten or drank anything, because I'm just crazy fever and all this, which then turns into pneumonia. And then from there, you know, it was months of recovery time where I really couldn't actually get a full deep breath until weeks after we launched the campus. So the enemy is going to do anything that he can to strip away your confidence in God. He's gonna bring these arrows up against you. He's gonna do all these things that, you know, hit you right where you're soft because he wants to tear you down. And this is the reason that he does it. He wants Christians to stop having faith in God and non-Christians to never come to faith in God. He wants you and I to be afraid to say yes to God. And this is why the enemy is shooting arrows at you today. So if you're feeling frustrated, if you're, if you're feeling discouraged, don't be. It means you're doing something. It means that you're doing something today. You know, because once we allow these arrows to make us drop our shield, we empower fear. And ultimately, it's then that we make ourselves vulnerable. And this is the enemy's tactic, for you to drop your shield and take an arrow to the face. I can't put it more bluntly. He wants you out of the fight because if he can make that happen, he knows that it will have rippling consequences. You know that our fight is not independent of other believers, right? You know that when we struggle, we get to struggle with other people as well. We get to come alongside one another. Like I said earlier, Paul is writing to an army. He's not writing to one soldier, so when those, um, when those flaming arrows hit a soldier, it would make them drop out of formation. Now, you have a soldier out of formation, likely on fire, and now the whole army is weaker for it. So for us, this imagery of arrows is powerful. This would really have evoked the same fear. Like if you can put yourself in this headspace that you're out on the battlefield and the crosshair of snipers today. This would have been about like, you know, translating it back in time some. This would be about the same thing. So nearly every army of Rome used these flaming arrows. And that's the, that's the imagery that Paul's trying to bring in. All the enemies of Rome used flaming arrows. So they would dip their arrows down in what they would call a pitch. It would be something like a tar or something that was flammable. They'd light them on fire and then just start shooting them out. And so in a lot of ways, if you've ever heard like a a Molotov cocktail, like this is essentially what they're they're throwing out. And so so when it hits you, not only would you get pierced, but it was likely that your clothing or your skin or whatever else would get this substance on it, and it would just set you on fire. And so ultimately it would take you out of the fight. And we know that the army does not consist of one person. And so the Roman army, what they would do is they would take up their shields. And they would get into formation together. And essentially you had people at the front and you had people all around. And they would basically create like this big like tortoise shell almost of shields. And the reason that they did this is because they realized that their shields could deflect the arrows. And that they could move forward faster, better, together so when we hold our shields up when we begin to deflect the arrows of the evil one we get to do that together so that we're not taking mass casualties so for us it's important that we stay in formation that we can move forward and i think that this is a great analogy that reminds us that we are better together we are better together and as we said, that the, the goal of the enemy is to remove us from this. And so there's a, a parable that Jesus talks about. It's the parable of the sower. And it's in Matthew 13, 16 through 23. And it says, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So the enemy is is coming. He's trying to steal away what God has given you. And I know that this parable talks about our individual faith it talks about you and it talks about someone's personal faith, but still, our personal faith affects the whole. And the enemy wants to weaken the army by taking you out. So what's the solution for all this? It's, it leads us to our second point, is faith. It's the shield of faith. And faith is simply this: confidence that what has been promised will come to be. Hebrews 11, one says it this way. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So faith happens then in the in-between. It happens in between. And what I mean by that is it happens in between when the promise was started and when the promise is complete. And so for us, it's a confidence that along the journey, faith empowers you to continue to push forward, even though you can't quite see the end yet. Even though I don't know what stands over here, I still have faith that it's going to come to pass. And I want to be clear, it's not faith in the promise, it's faith in the Promiser. We don't have faith in in these things and in between, but we have faith in the person who's gonna guide us from point A to point B. And so we go through life trusting in so many things. You know, today you got in your car. You trusted that those driving around you would not hit you on the way here, which is a miracle on 81. You came into church this morning and you grabbed a cup of coffee in faith, believing that it was going to be good. Yes, right. Caffeine crew. You, you came in today and you sat on a chair, believing in faith that it was going to hold up your weight. But what about when the arrows begin to be shot at you? Will you have faith, even though you see these things coming at you, that the God who made the promise will see it to completion over here? Even though this whole way I'm marching forward, I got my my shield, God's going to see me to the finish line. Do you have that kind of faith today? And that's where Paul says, take up the shield of faith. And what was wild about this Roman shield, whoever did made these. They did a really great job. Can, like, can we just give them a round of applause? Because this is all made out of styrofoam, if you believe it or not. And so it's pretty close to size. The, the Roman shield was about four, four and a half feet tall and about two feet wide. And essentially what could happen is, you know, a Roman soldier could essentially put their whole body back behind it. But the, but the shield was made up of alternating layers of bronze and oxide. So basically, like think like bronze and leather, bronze and leather. And these shields were so strong that not only did it deflect the arrows, but a lot of times when the arrow hit the shield, it actually broke and then fell harmlessly to the ground. Because even if it's you know kind of on fire on the ground here, you can just, oh, hey, you know. So, but that's what the shield did. This is what faith does for us, is that when the arrows are coming at us, that faith is strong enough that when the arrows hit you, it just, oh, that was it. That's all it took. I just had to, okay, keep them coming. This is what it looks like for us to take up the shield of faith and to press forward, even though we see these things coming, it's the faith that God is going to see us through it. And I know that it can be hard for us to, to picture ourselves in this way. Um, Does it seem kind of daunting almost? Like, Hey, this is, that seems really tiring. It seems really tiring to take up my shield every day. You know, how, where do I find the strength to do that? Plus, I got to, you know, I got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I got to put these shoes on. I got to put on my belt. And there's a few others that we're going to learn in the next couple of weeks. But I want to tell you this is that it gets easier. It does. You, you block a few arrows. You get a little bit of confidence. And before you know it, after repetition, after repetition, you know, all those things start coming in your life. You, you just keep hanging on. All of a sudden, you find that it's nothing. That you're a veteran. So when those terrible things come up against you, when the enemy's trying to bring bigger, badder arrows, all of a sudden you're like, I got this one. Oh, wait, you're, you're going through the same thing? Hold up. You know, if you're not strong enough to lift your shield yet, yeah, just get behind mine. We, we got this. Let's do this together. Oh, you're good now? How about we link? Okay, well, you want to link up too? Okay, sick. Let's, let's go. Let's get the whole squad together now. And before you know it, boom, you got this tortoise shell, which is essentially is the church. And we're moving forward through the darkness. We're moving forward into God's promises. And we're taking land. Because here's what the Bible says. It says, on this rock, meaning the church, I will, I will build my congregation, On these foundational truths, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you're going to be storming the gates of hell and you're going to be good. And we're going to be taking back what the enemy has stolen. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy, but he didn't know that there was an army of God who was ready to deflect his arrows and take back what he stole because the Bible says that whatever the enemy has stolen, that God is going to replace sevenfold. Come on. We have good promises to stand on. And so I want to begin to wind down with this. We have great examples of this faith that have gone before us. And so Hebrews 11 2 through 16, you know, we just read Hebrews 1, one, which says that now faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. And this is the continuation of that. It says, this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed, that God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger. In a foreign country, he lived in tents, and as did Isaac and Jacob, who were who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose care, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so, from this one man. He, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and countless as the sand of the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Church, do not give up faith, for faith sees what the eyes cannot. And I know that we're all walking through some some real things today and that's not to discredit that in any way. But if we were to continue to keep reading this chapter, if, if we had all day, we could, we could listen to stories about those who conquered kingdoms, those who um, received back dead loved ones, those who saw great miracles. But we would also hear about those who were tortured, who were persecuted, who were sawn in half and were exiled out of the land's promised to them. So what what does this mean for us? In every circumstance, we press onward with faith as our shield. And this is what you need to do. When, When temptation rears its ugly head, when disunity steps in, when unbelief tries to preach against the knowledge of God, you need to put your shield up. That's not what God's word said. I know that this is what it looks like, but God promised something better. And it's not that we're ignorant to the things that have happened. Rather, we choose to still be confident in the Lord, even when the circumstances do not go our way. I know that this should have ended a different way, but you know what? I'm believing in God's word, which says that he makes all things work together for my good. I don't know why my loved one died, but if they believed in Jesus, God's word promises that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. You know, I don't know why I keep getting knocked down, but today I'm going to choose to stand up on God's word, which says that he is faithful to bring everything into completion that he has started. I may not like what I see, but I have faith in where God is taking me. And C.S. Lewis said this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. So faith is not our intellectual pursuit, but it is an acknowledgement that even in the absence of visible proofs, there is evidence that only my soul can see. So that leaves us with one last question as we close. How do we get faith? Well, simply, it's, it's a gift from God. It's a gift, it's a free gift to receive. And Romans 10, 17 says this, so faith comes from hearing and we're hearing through the word of Christ. And the word of Christ is the gospel. So I want to leave us with with what that looks like before we, we pray and before we head out today. And it would be this. We were created in perfect relationship with God. We rebelled against God and the relationship was broken. There had to be a payment so that the relationship could be repaired. We did not have it in and of ourselves to pay, to repay this debt. So God in love sent his own son Jesus to be our payment. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave, taking away eternal death for anyone who would have faith in him as a free gift. And now, in response, as renewed people, God has a great plan for our lives, which involves telling others of his love. And that ultimately he will be faithful to fulfill the promises that he's made. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me?